0: Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the d raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and baseball is back. The lockout has ended, and we're back to regularly scheduled programming here on the d raise Bay Podcast Network. If you haven't checked it out already, I did an instant reaction podcast with Ashley McLennan, who's also one of the hosts of the Who's on Worst podcast. And alongside me today, I've got the other host from Who's on Worst. It's Darby Robinson
1: well hello brett hello everybody it's so good to be back talking about baseball stuff and not just baseball movies
0: yeah it's like this podcast that we're doing right now like we usually do like a month ago like getting ready for spring training we're finally seeing some cell phone pictures from mark topkin my favorite we missed like truck day content
1: which is like mm.
0: usually the first day that I'm some I get of the really best excited. social media
1: content that is that is great yeah. content it
0: seems like the trucks are already down there and ready to go for, for minor league camp, which was already underway. But now, Major League Camp starting Monday, March 14th. We'll get exhibition games at the end of the week for, for a few weeks. And then April 7th, April, I think the Rays are April 8th for opening day, uh, which is a little, I don't know if everything's been finalized, but a little unfortunate that it sounds like the Rays had a scheduled off day for what will now be opening day. Uh, but they'll get to open at home, which is uh, exciting. Um, But with that lockout ending means there was a new collective bargaining bargaining agreement. And so on today's episode, I think Darby and I are going to just kind of walk through that CBA, talk about what we like, what we dislike, maybe what looms in the future for the next deal in five years. And uh, also kind of look around the league. There's been a ton of moves already and a ton still to be made as we go through spring training. Rays have been pretty quiet thus far and then uh, talk about what we're looking forward to in spring training, maybe some players that are on the bubble in terms of whether or not they're going to break the team, and we'll raise our voices about who we think is going to break through this year in spring training for the Rays. Uh, But let's just jump right into it, Darby. Um, CBA, uh, where do you want to start? What's the biggest sticking
1: point for you or maybe the biggest thing you like out of this new CBA? For me, coming into the CBA fight, the biggest thing that i thought would have been the winner that that i that i really wanted to see was an increase in minimum salary um a minimum wage increase in baseball gives the most immediate kind of uh rising of tide for the most players possible so the previous minimum was 500k uh now that is up to 700,000 and then with increases of 20,000 each year of the cba so Already, that means a two hundred thousand dollar raise for everybody that's on that league minimum salary, which is really good because that means suddenly your your year two, your first arb year, everything that just kind of moves up a little bit. If you're if the minimum is five hundred k, the next thing is just a little bit higher percentage wise. Now you are starting at a higher point, so that means those those young players that are coming up that are getting that t- chance, those those guys that are maybe only gonna have uh, a couple of weeks in the majors, that they, they get a little bit more money prorated to each day. So I think that was a huge um, win. I was, you know, obviously hope for more, but uh, I think 700K is a good increase and that's gonna be a pretty helpful amount. That is not an insignificant amount of money for a lot of players. So I, I think that was that's really good.
0: It's the largest increase in like 20 years. Back in 02 and 03, it went up 50 percent when it went from 200 to 300. Now we see it go from like 550 or 5 what 70 whatever it was to 700. So, yeah, I think I think that's a win. And, and sticking in, uh, on the like part where uh, about service time and young players, it's good. You know, if you you look at where the league's best and brightest players are, um, you know, you're getting a lot of production out of guys that are in their pre-ARB years. And obviously, the very top tier of those players are going to sign massive extensions. Guys like Fernando Tatis and Franco. But there's a lot of other really good players that are in their pre-arb years that aren't going to sign $200 million extensions. Some of them do, like Brandon Lau. He signed his very early on. Um, but I can think of other guys that um, are producing for their big league teams that aren't locked up, that have to go through the arbitration process, uh, which I re- overall I'd love to see in in in, in the next you know few deals getting rid of arbitration. I don't know if that's possible, uh, but, mm-hmm. or, or at least reshape because it, I don't know, it's really weird for like players and their employers to be arguing over what their salary is going to be like in court. Um, but this is a really good start. Also players that finish in like the top two and rookie of the year, get a full year of service time. Well, I think that's mm-hmm. a good thing. I don't, I think it could have been a lot better. Like I, I know Danny threw out the idea of, You know, a player comes up and, like, if he plays X amount of games that year, he gets the full year of service time no matter when he was called up. Like, if it was more than a cup of coffee. Like, a guy like Wander Franco, who had played, like, he was an everyday player for the second half of the season, would have accrued a full year of service time. I also kind of like the idea of, like, the service clock starting whenever you're added to the 40-man and maybe league minimum being paid while you're on the 40-man because technically you're a big league player. You can be called upon... Any day to you know join the big league squad. Um, these are things that maybe in the future the players will be able to win. I, I think, given the 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 climate surrounding these negotiations and the pressure that the season was going to be shorted, they did have to make some concessions. Overall, I think they won. We're going to go to go through everything else. I think overall they had a really some really big wins in terms of and minimum salary is one of those things, but. Um, let's move on to, let's stay on the money side of things. Um, competitive balance tax. So I think this was honestly outside of international draft, which was kind of you know negotiated late in the process. This was where the players and the owners were furthest apart. And um, ultimately, we're going to see a 9.5% increase over the $210 million threshold. And let's be honest about this. Like, this is a self-imposed soft cap. The owners want to have this in place so that they can say, look, we can't spend any more money, when in reality they can. They kind of disguise it as, oh, we want to make sure everything stays competitive. You don't have one team spending $250 million while one team is spending $75 million in payroll. Even though those numbers are made up, the owners can do whatever they want. Ultimately, though, it goes up a little bit. It's going to continue to go up all the way to $244 million in the last year of this deal. Darby, what are your thoughts on on how they ended up with the CBT?
1: I think it's probably the best they could get. Um I this was the biggest sticking point. Like this, the um the we'll talk about the pre-arbitration bonus pool probably next, but that one was like the like the biggest split that then eventually every time there was a new negotiation, the owners came up ten million. So it was like, okay, they actually didn't That was not as big of a split yeah. as they really thought. the Cbt was like that one it was basically the owners were digging in heels by far and the and the players union uh for their credit were also kind of sticking pretty good. They did concede quite a bit there. I did not see the competitive balance tax as much of a that that needed to be one, otherwise this would have been a, a bad CBA for the players. Um, but seeing an increase is good because the teams that that really are giving up the biggest, you know, high, high value contract money is gonna be, you know, your teams in the big markets. And they are kind of getting a little stagnant. You know, they have decided to stay under the cap. And I would have liked to have seen maybe just a loosening of penalties rather than necessarily needing to change the amount by a ton but overall they got it got it rising so that's good it's still probably too low considering the rates of inflation Um, the Yankees are still a team that's spending about as much the same amount of money on their payroll as they did 20 years ago as they do today which is not good that's that's clearly a, a flaw in the game but you know not every team does it I know uh Steve Cohen of the Mets he's gonna blow right past it again um he's hey, good for him probably been the, and, and good for him I mean he is a he is a weirdo and he does a lot of weird stuff but the one thing that I do enjoy about him is he is a constant pain in the ass to the other billionaires in the club because he just does things that they don't like and makes them look bad and so hey cool um Steve Cohen keep being a weirdo uh yeah the commitment balance tax is one of those things where it's like I'm glad it raised because it's been a really frustrating and annoying pretend cap that the billionaires have said like we cannot move we cannot the, the owners have said like we cannot go past it and terrified of going past it and then just have used that as a crutch to excuse um spending far less than they they should which i know with the players union trying to get not only the the money siphoned lower to the to the younger players but also making sure that those top value contracts are are kind of valued and that teams continue to add Um, Competitive balance tax cap ended up kind of doing the opposite, which was having teams like the Chicago Cubs completely tear down, even though they are one of the three largest franchises in the sport and pretending to be poor and needing to blow up a team for tax purposes seems really antithetical to what you're trying to do. So hopefully this will at least allow these extremely rich clubs as well to spend to to their means.
0: Yeah, like the Cubs easily could have, if they wanted to, and if the players wanted to, re-signed all of those guys and brought them back on on, 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 an, on new deals uh, next season. Yeah, do, let's go back to the pre-arbitration. I meant to bring that up when we were talking about young players. So, um, Travis Salchick um, from The Score, I'm looking at his tweets um, from The Deal. So, for pre-arbitration players, uh, which is like your first three years really in the big leagues, um, for MVP and Cy Young winners, so like Blake Snell in 2018, um, you will earn a two and a half million dollar bonus if you win. One point seven five million dollars if you finish second. One and a half for third, and one million for fourth. Uh, if you finish fourth or fifth. Um, oh wait, that was yeah, one million for fourth or fourth and fifth for Cy Young. You get seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for Rookie of the Year and five hundred for second place in Rookie of the Year. This is another good thing. Like I said, you've got pl- so many talented players in their pre beers. And remember, like, when Blake Snell won Cy Young, there was a lot of uproar about him only getting, what was it, the, the, the 10% increase in salary from 2018 to 2019. And then, like, a week later, he sent him a $50 million contract extension. So it ended up not being that big of a deal. But it wasn't solidified. Like, say the Rays and Blake Snell hadn't come to a deal. He was going to be making just about league minimum coming off of one of the most dominant seasons in recent memory in the American league. Now he would have a two and a half million dollar bonus in place. And a lot of these superstar players that are winning these awards are going to have these types of deals, but it's not guaranteed and it's good to have these sorts of thing.
1: Bonuses guaranteed. Well, in that, in that there's an example that, uh, that MLB.com uses with Corbin Burns, who, yeah. who is, who is making about 600 K. He would be basically jumped up to 4 million like that's a huge thing and he's a pitcher so like any throw with that arm could be the last and so right. absolutely hugely valuable and uh yeah i think that's a, i think that was a good thing and that was one that really you know the i think the mlb players uh, association started at like 100 million the owners started at like 10 million which is laughable and then they eventually uh, eventually got to 50 million which i, I think is a good compromise um I think that one, the, the, the pre-arbitration bonus pool mixed with some of the other ones like the, uh, uh, you already mentioned it, the idea of finishing top one or two in Rookie of the Year, you get your full year of service time. There's another kind of rule change that kind of ties into that, trying to get this money to those younger players, but then also incentivize teams to not play games and keep people down is adding a potential draft pick compensation to players that finish uh, highly in the rookie of the year, um, voting, which I still the rules reading them are a little bit tricky to sort of see like what exactly the comp- compensation is and how that will work out. But I do think clearly draft picks, uh, are a big deal. I think teams value them quite a bit more than maybe some of us even can think. And, uh, and adding that as an incentive is pretty useful. And I think that could be useful for teams that are actually smaller market uh that that maybe don't have as large a payroll because that does give you the opportunity to keep acquiring uh talent to you know basically keep pace with teams that have like infinite budgets like a yankees or dodgers type of franchise so um i do think that's hopefully an incentive and a carrot enough that gets teams to um, be a little bit more aggressive or at least uh promote players when they're ready and give them that incentive. I don't know how in practice it will actually work though. And in terms of, will that actually give them the incentive? Will that be enough of a carrot? I don't know.
0: Look, now that these bonuses are tied to these awards, and now we've known that the writers and how they vote on awards has always had an effect on players' salaries, a player going into his free agent year. If he wins MVP, that's obviously going to you know give him a a boost in contract negotiations or if he's won mvp in the past but that was more of an indirect boost this would be the writers now have a direct impact on how much a player could be earning in that next season what are your thoughts on that
1: that's the part so in in theory i love the idea of like you have a randy rosarena right who comes the rookie of the year who's awesome older. Who's, a, who's older superstar guy he deserves a bonus, totally. And he doesn't, he deserves a bonus and not to necessarily have to sign an extension uh, that he doesn't want. You know, it, it's it's offering the opportunity of you're getting more money for your performance and it's not tied to the only way you get that money guaranteed is if you sign this deal. Because maybe you just want to ride it out, get to your RBRs and then go to test-free agency. That should be your right, but you should also not be paid poorly for that. I think that, I think you do raise and I, I've seen some some pretty interesting uh discussions on Twitter from even writers baseball writers. Yeah, yeah. about how this does put a really tough spot where you are now I, I think there is some ethical and uh real world real practice issues that are gonna arise with this. Because if you look at it and you're like say the the third or fourth uh you know person you're voting for, if you're like, okay, this guy was the first overall pick. He's got a big bonus. This guy was like 30th round pick. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a big bonus. He, maybe this was his best year. So we, if we, let's go back. Or see, X player uh,
0: already has an extension in place. This sh- let's doesn't. look
1: at Shohei Otani versus Joey Wendell in the rookie of the year voting. Do you suddenly go, let's, let's actually maybe vote for Joey because this is probably it. This is probably his best chance for his big deal. Whereas Shohei Otani is coming over with a great, huge contract. He's yeah. a superstar. He is. Uh, he's going to be the top tier guy. Um, or if you look at like Miguel Andujar with uh, the Yankees, so you maybe push him down because you're like, well, it's the Yankees. They're going to spend enough for him mm-hmm. and they could afford to spend more. Um, I do think that does raise an interesting question. I think maybe there's already those weird things factoring in to the humans. voting. You have humans voting on it. Yeah, they're going to be biased. Yeah, so I don't know how much that will like fully effective but I do think that does raise some interesting questions and I don't know how to fully get the money to those players besides the raising of the minimum but like how do you get those bonuses to those players without tying it to something like this
0: well you had the owners because, who wanted w- uh, wins above replacement to be added but you've got multiple ways to determine that like yeah. baseball reference has their own fangusuff has their own uh baseball prospectus has what do they have vorp uh, value above replacement player like These are all subjective calculations as well. There's going to be biases. There's going to be different things that affect this. I don't know if there's a perfect way. And I think maybe, you know, tying it to awards is going to do it. Because I don't think you're going to see, like, a clear deserving (laughs) MVP or Cy Young winner get passed up by a guy just because he's a pre-arb guy. Like, I don't think, maybe I'm naive as a a journalist myself, uh, but I don't think the writers are, like, going to, like, Fix the vote but like you said there is a bit of an ethical dilemma here
1: and i i I will say this when it comes to that i don't know if that is worse than the already subjective human nature things where they're like i'm a triple crown guy so this guy has more rbis which is like what the hell is that that's like a useless statistic that's tied to things that are outside of the player's control like so i i think there is like here's the thing Come talk to me at the end of the year when there's some uh, awards voting, and this this narrative becomes a nightmare. And maybe I'll say, "Oh my God, this is is the worst." But right now, I think it is a factor. But I do think we already have baseball writers with very weird, strange picadillos, and they will have their opinions and things that they vote on. And you know, that's just going to be the way it is. And now you have another like spice into the soup if you will so i it's probably the best of the it's much better than the war situation i thought that was the i thought that was a nightmare of epic proportions uh and what a perfect way to to like
0: throw to the the people the anti-numbers people like imagine the fits that would have been thrown by writers and by fans that like, Oh, now it's just trying to accumulate the most war. That's how you get paid. You're not actually trying to win baseball games anymore. Like you'd, yeah. you'd get that sort of argument and I'm glad we don't have to hear that from anybody.
1: Yeah. That was, I was like, that was the one thing that I, I'd rather go back to this voting than, than that, because that was, that was, a, I could see the next five years of our lives in yeah. the pure agony and migraines. That was about to uh to give us all yeah
0: uh let's take a quick break and on the other side we'll talk about some changes in this new cba that will more so affect what's happening on the field And we're back on Raise Your Voice. And I do want to talk about the new option limits rule. And I don't know, Darby, maybe you could call this the Lewis head rule as he was optioned so many times. Uh, do you have the total? Do you know
1: the total number off the top of your head? I want to say it was 11 or 12. Yeah, because was Mazza 12. wasn't I... that far behind. Yeah, Mazza, he, basically he was fishing or taking a, a cab to the to the drop. That was the um, two things he did all of yeah. And, also, like,
0: and, and like, I remember like some people on Twitter are like, what's he doing? Like, why is he fishing? Why didn't he report to Durham? Like the man's been sent back and forth between two cities all season. Let him have a couple days off to go fish. He's on a pitching schedule anyways. He'll be fine. Uh-huh. Uh, we could also call this the Tom Verducci role because like, uh, you know, he wrote that hit piece on the Rays about, you know, basically saying that Ryan Sheriff's mental health issues uh, were tied to the Rays optioning him all the time. Um, but we could, we've, we've talked about Tom Verducci enough on this podcast network, I think. Yeah. Um, so we can call it the Lewis head rule, but basically I think this is a very good rule. It states that players, uh, cannot be sent up and down between the majors and the minors more than five times in one season. And I don't know, maybe even that number is a little too high, but now there's a limit and there hadn't been a limit beforehand because if you're unaware, players have three option years in some very special cases like Brent Honeywell or Brendan McKay, they get a fourth due to like injuries upon injuries. Very rare. But usually you have three years in which you can be optioned. It's not three times that you can be sent down. If you're optioned once in a year, that's your option, you're done. You could be optioned 11 times, like Lewis Head. Now it's capped at five. I think this is very good. Uh, it And as much of a supporter as I think we are of the Rays, and oftentimes the way they do things we recognized like on these podcasts that what they were doing to Lewis head and Chris Mazza was like, not a great thing. Now, the other argument is that like Lewis head and Chris Mazza might not have been pitching in the big leagues if it weren't for their ability to be optioned so many times in one year. Uh, You know, maybe the other teams don't give them the same opportunities that the Rays did, but now I think five, I think it's a good number. You know, it, it could be lower, but the fact that this is a new rule,
1: I think five is a good place to start. Yeah, I I agree. I think I do think the option rule overall does benefit players, especially the way the Rays and the Dodgers and the Astros use it, because you are getting these are the cream of the crop like organizations. And so when they are like, this guy is great, we're going to sign this player in, we're going to use him uh, as an option guy, we're going to just show more teams, you know, real good major league tape on these guys that does help them, but there is a limit. And I think they'll still be able to get that with five options. I think that's pl- or five trips. Let's just say after the fifth trip, after the fifth designation, you can still be optioned more times. You just have to be every single time you would have to be exposed to waivers. Right. Which is um, good. Like
0: it gives players yeah. more major league opportunities,
1: kind of like a rule five, like a mid season rule five draft type of thing. So it's like yeah. you have the, you have too many, you have too many good talented people and so other teams that don't have as many have an opportunity to take one of the ones that you don't actively need. So I, I think it's good. I think that's fine. I, I think when, it, when the rule came out, everyone kind of like looks to the Rays to be like, how are they going to handle it now? They can't use their tricks. And it's like, well, they, you know, the Dodgers do this, the Astros do this, any team that's like great at, and like, especially with bullpen is and has a ton of depth is going to be doing this. So, I think this is a good thing to reduce and those teams are going to adapt. You know, I, I have no doubt that the the Rays or the Dodgers are going to be able to figure out how to basically roll out talented pitchers every single game with this new limit.
0: Yeah, and we I, I saw um Dan is it Jamborski Jamborski from from FanGraphs. I could completely be botching that last name. I apologize Dan, I know you're listening. Um, Fra-
1: friend of the site too. He has commented yeah. many times on DRA's pay, and we love his stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, so he he put out this interesting point. It was more geared towards like the shifts and other rule changes that we're going to get to in just a second. But just the fact that like some teams are benefiting off these off these rules like doesn't mean that it's bad that if the rules are changed like okay you don't want to you don't want to have like beat the game of Major League Baseball after a couple of years and then, like, playing the same game. Like, things are going to change, and it's fun to, like, learn how to beat these new challenges. Like, the Rays are going to have to adapt the way they operate their shuttle between Durham and the Majors.
1: The Rays were the team that everyone did the same thing. Like, look at them and be like, okay, now that the the Loogie rule or the three-batter yeah. minimum rule... Or the open, Like, okay how do you figure that out now you can't do the waxahachi switch you can't do any of those things beat that and the rays are like fine whatever we'll just do you know you just adjust you just adjust you have the rules that are set in place and good teams will figure out ways to maximize that talent on the edges of those rules they will find the edge they will find the new uh, adaptations and so a lot of these rule changes even ones that i don't like and and we're going to talk about like potential future rule changes that have not been agreed upon, but the potential to change rules has been agreed upon. Even the ones that I don't like, I'm not going to be like throwing up my arms in disgust. It's more like, I mean, I am excited about the idea of a a team like the Rays who are crazy innovative. It's just another opportunity to say like, okay, this is what the new setup is. How do you work with in these new sets of rules?
0: Let's let's jump into I think the biggest potential rule change that could come as early as 2023 is the banning of the shift. Something that existed before the Rays used
1: it a bunch in the Madden days. Ted Williams, in particular, yeah. <laughs> There's some great, they, Like Ted Williams was one of the most shifted players of his era.
0: But the Rays started shifting everybody. You know, it wasn't just the big lefty in the lineup. They were shifting everybody. It's kind of, you know, shifting righties. They're trying different formations. It was, it got, I'm not saying it was bad or good, but it was ridiculous. Like it was insane, the different ways they would shift their infielders around because it had never been seen before. And now we've had all this talk really on the last few weeks of negotiations that they were going to ban the shift. Nobody really knows what that means. Does that mean you have to have at least two infielders on either side of the infield? Does that mean an infielders have to stay in a certain box that may or may not be drawn on the field of play? Nobody really knew. Everyone was just all ban the shift and was either like, yes, amazing, ban the shift, or no, terrible, ban the shift. And ultimately, I'm, like, against any banning of the shift. But if it happens, first off, I've been, like, so worried that we weren't going to get a full season or a season at all That I really couldn't care less about what the rule changes were. I was just going to be excited about baseball one way or the other. But that is something that plus bigger bases and the pitch clock, bigger bases and pitch clock.
1: I don't care. Do whatever you want.
0: Make the bases. Those on four.
1: Yeah, Yeah. those those on four, especially the bigger bases. I think there's some like health uh, issues there. There's like you know a bit more opportunity to slide. Hopefully less you know in your jams and and you know also hopefully less of the the replay where it sees somebody slide off the bag for half a second, you know, and then back in, that's technically out. That's my least favorite rule and the curse of the instant replay. Um, I'm strongly against the idea of banning the shift because I feel like the way it's come about is just been this anti-intellectual, like weird knee jerk. Like I just like, you know, this player is super one dimensional and it's unfair that, People have figured out how to defend him. And it does feel like you're kind of nerfing the game to help out players that are less than. Yeah. However, however, while I hate the narrative behind it and I hate the arguments that have been put forward to ban it, again, like I said, we'll just adapt, right? And, and, right. and overall, the shift I, I don't think does as much as people think. And I don't think
0: banning it's going to come up with the solutions that people think it will either.
1: It's going to give Joey Gallo like six more singles a year. Like that's it. Like it's just, like, he's still going to strike out 35 yeah. to 40% of the time. He's still going to swing for the fences every single time. Basically when he makes contact, it's either going to be on the ground directly to the second baseman. It's going to be maybe a dribbler through the the middle, or it's going over the, short porch that's 220 you know feet out to right field. Like that's that's the he is gonna be an out like a three true outcome guy of either an out, a strikeout, a home run, Mm -hmm. or a walk. You're not gonna change that. He's never changed. So why would he change now? It's just you're gonna add like a couple of points of batting average. So instead of being a 220 batting average, he'll be like 240. Big whoop. It's not gonna be that crazy big of a thing. It's just I don't like the idea of like we have to stop strategy and innovation to help you know along these other players but i'm not gonna like like you said like if we have to sacrifice the shift to get labor peace then like so be it kill it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah
0: and and it's it's ultimately if that's the way we decide as a society that baseball is going to be played like you've got to have a player here okay fine baseball is still going to be baseball and even like with the shift as much as a fan i am of like teams utilizing it to their best interest there's nothing I love more than like a player bunting against the shift to reach first base. Like that is incredible. It's exciting. Like like uh, Frankie Mejia did it a couple times this past season. He was shifted when he was hitting from the left side and would like drop a drag bunt down and like
1: Brandon Lau. Brandon yeah. Lau's got pretty In, good at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, fine. That's you. That's you. That's a strategy. Like okay, they're gonna shift me. I'll take the free base this time if I can get a bunt down. You know, I'll, I'll concede not being able to, you know, hit a double through the gap or getting a single over the second baseman's head because they have me shifted. I'll just take my base this way. Fine. And then maybe the next time they don't. Or maybe they keep doing it and you keep taking those extra bases. Uh, Yanni Diaz, maybe, uh, you know, he was being shifted like as a righty a couple times this season. He would just go opposite righty. field yeah. because he's yeah. an opposite and I, field hitter.
1: Never, I never understood that. He, he like really feasted on that, but yeah. Uh, the other thing, universal <laughs> universal
0: DH, I think, I don't know. I mean, this is easy for Love me. Love it. Made sense. Probably overdue. It, it opens up more jobs for DHs. It takes away zero jobs mm-hmm. for pitchers. Uh, Yeah, I, I understand. I, I really do understand, like, people that are saying this is the game, the way the game's always been played, like the National League has had it. I also do appreciate, I appreciated that, like, the two leagues had different rules. I might not think it's the best idea, especially as we move towards, and we can talk about this a little bit next year when the scheduling, there's a lot going to be a lot more interleague play. Um, It did suck in the world series though, that like half the series will be played with different rules. Uh, That doesn't really make any sense. And it's the only sport in the world that I can think of like that. (laughs) Um, So I think universal DH is good. I think that one's pretty simple, pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah. I like it. I mean, Nelson Cruz is going to probably sign to a national league team. He's he, he, any like players like him suddenly have a bigger uh uh, you know field to potentially bid for their services so i think it's good uh yes we will miss the three pitching hit highlights per year um and that's maybe even overselling how many um but it's it's a different strategy so this is something that like we, we mentioned how like the no shift or the three batter minimum uh, the option rule, those are just different strategies for teams to ad- adjust to. For the longest time, I've heard from National League fans that basically the DH, no DH adds strategy. Uh, having a DH also adds strategy. You'll have to figure out how to manage that too. It's a different strategy. Also, with the pitcher, there was no, it was basically, there was like one decision. It was basically, do we pinch it now or do we pinch it later? Period. It's not that big of a strategy. You'll adjust. You'll all survive.
0: And also for the people that like to see pitchers stay in the game longer, Like, pitchers in the American League stay in the game longer because, you know, oh, we've got two men on and one out, but our pitcher's up. But he's only thrown five innings. We have to pull him now, though, because we need to get those runs in. Like, now that's not a decision that has to be made. You can throw your pitcher who's only at 75 pitches back out there for the sixth. Have him try to extend that start, even as we see starts get shorter and shorter. I don't know. I just thought that one was simple and and, and probably overdue. We've already already played a big league season where that was the rule. Like, we played the 2020 season – Uh, with the universal DH. Um, So I'm glad, I'm glad that it's, that's back and back for
1: good. Uh, Draft lottery. Should we touch on draft lottery? It's yeah, that's an interesting, interesting addition. It's that only the top six teams. But all non-playoff teams are included, which is 18. We're going to talk about playoffs too. Yeah. So uh, lotteries are good. That helps with, I mean, the, the NBA did that to prevent tanking. Um, they still have tanking. So, I, if again, if we're looking at that as a magic bullet that saves tanking, it's in not a league big. where
0: the draft means ex- exponentially more than mm-hmm. the major league
1: draft. It, it yes. still hasn't prevented tra- tanking. Right. And so, with MLB, you could easily say, like, well, we'll just compete and maybe we get a chance in the top pick. I, I, I don't think that's going to be the anti tanking silver bullet because we've always had it and we always will. But I think that is nice, the idea that you can be mediocre. I actually like the thing about the lottery that I do like is that mediocrity can get, um, is a weird thing to say, but it it, it benefits mediocrity. And for like the longest time, there was a series of, of years where the Rays were at, the current iteration of the Rays were at their lowest, which was still like 80 and 82. And I had a lot of fun with these years. They were frustrating because they seemed to be better than they were, but they were still competitive. They were still like a hot September away from maybe making a playoff push. And guess what? Those would have been potentially opportunities to eh, maybe you get into the lottery. Maybe you, maybe you get lucky and you get a top pick or maybe you get a higher pick. Maybe you don't and it's fine, but like it does give you the benefit of potentially building a team that is a 81-win team with high variance of plus or minus like seven wins. And you can be like, maybe we'll be really good. Maybe we won't. We'll have some really talented young players. We're going to promote and we're going to see what happens. I think that would be good for the game. I think more teams aiming for being not sucky would be a benefit to the league because then you actually have some fun, interesting middle ground teams. This is not going to stop a team
0: from trading away their star player that's got a year and a half left of team control from trading him away it, because now there there's a draft lottery like teams are still going to do that like I don't think this changes a whole lot especially because the major league draft isn't like other drafts in which you're either taking the best player available or the best player that fits a positional need. Really positional needs don't exist in the in the draft. Some teams might draft, you know, a certain way, but you're 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 making picks based on how you want to spend your your draft pool. You know, if you spend x amount over slot in the first round, you're going to, you know, you might not be able to get the guy you want in the 5th or 6th round. And so like I I'm okay with it. Like I it's I it, it really doesn't matter to me. I don't think it's going to help anything. I don't think it's going to change anything to the point where we notice.
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think the bigger – I would like to see in the next CBA – let me put my vote in right away. And it's it's not great because the international draft is sort of like this new thing that was kind of pushed in as yeah. well. I would have liked I, – I hate drafts, period. Yeah. I think they're extremely – it's the only thing. It's it's a weird thing that sports does that no other industry does, where you are forced and only American to sports contract and only American sports. It is a very weird thing, and I hate it because honestly, it seems like that's a that's like something that most people would say, like oh, the Rays would benefit because they could you know tank and do that, but like the Rays don't tank. They never have, and they don't. They would benefit so much more from the international model, which is you have your set amount of money to spend and you get to spend that whoever you want on whoever you want and you get to negotiate with them and pitch your team on what their role would be in your organization rather than I have the top pick so I'm going to pick this guy even though I don't know what I'm doing because I'm the top. I'm, I I've picked at the top three straight years because my team is atrocious. We're a dumpster fire of an organization. We fired the entire analytics team. We have no idea what we're doing and we play a mile high i could we be talking about you. any team i could be playing <laughs> i could be talking about any team don't you dare say that i'm talking about a specific team i could be talking about the any- nl west it, it could be anybody it could be anybody all right it could be anybody um uh let's call us the sea rockies no wait that's too specific let's call us the colorado r's um no, you're st- you're a team. You're now a player that's stuck going to a team that doesn't necessarily fully uh, value what you do. Whereas you might take a few million dollars less to go to a market or a region or a team that fits your model. Whatever. And that in is.
0: baseball, you could be there for like ten years. You know, you could be there like five in the minors. Your entire six years your, big your
1: entire prime could be wasted on that. So I hate the I hate the drafts in general. I hate that the international draft is going to be a thing potentially. I hate that the you know I I do, so. Draft lottery is like whatever. It's something I would rather no draft whatsoever, which will never happen, which will never happen, but it's, it's very frustrating. So that's my just small giraffe rant. Be, I Cause the it. other
0: thing is like the teams enter like signing bonus negotiations with these players. A lot of times this happens like before the pick is made, like a team will ask a player, Hey, are you willing to sign for X amount? The player will say, well, I'll sign if you give me this. But once that draft pick is made, the players have no leverage. The team holds on to their draft rights for the entire year. You have a player like Kumar Rocker, who's going to have Tommy, who had Tommy John surgery. The Mets drafted in the first round. They couldn't come to an agreement. It's not like he could go sign with anyone else. He's got to go back in the draft this year. He's not going to go as high. He's coming off of Tommy John. And he hasn't pitched in a, in a high-level competitive baseball game in over, well over a year now, even outside of his surgery, because he left Vanderbilt University the players have no leverage once they're selected. Now teams, most teams operate in good faith and will not select a guy that they know they don't have a good chance of signing or they know uh, you you're not, you know, they'll, they'll still take the best player, uh, but they'll usually have these conversations before that pick is made, especially in the, in the, um, the, the, the first few rounds where you have the, the slot money, like the, the, the discussions are had on the day of the draft and leading up to the draft. But, yeah, they have no leverage once the pick is made. I'd love to see a world in which American sports never had drafts. I don't think they bring the competitive balance that, like, a lot of people think they do. Maybe in certain sports, but, like, even in the NFL, like, you see the same teams picking at the top of the draft every year. Why aren't they getting better? You know, it's like not like the draft turns teams into Super Bowl winners. Uh, you know, occasionally you have success stories, but in the NBA, too. Um, So, I yeah, I'm okay with the draft lottery. I don't want to get in too much of, like, a draft tangent. Um, I don't, is there anything else? Like, is there anything else in the CBA that I haven't mentioned that you think is worth mentioning other than expanded so th- playoffs, which we're going to talk about after that. Yeah, break.
1: I, I think overall this, I'll just, just as, just to put a, like a, you know, kind of cap on the rest of the CBA. Uh, I think coming into this, there was the big idea of like, will the players win or will the owners win? I, I do think this is a, a solid CBA. I, I don't think the players got crushed. I actually thought the players' union did a phenomenal job sticking together. They they, they did concede on a lot of points, but that's just going to be the negotiation. The, the, the owners are going to have the more leverage, by far. They are billionaires. Yeah. They could outlast, they can outlast the world, okay? Mm-hmm. They are fine. They're going to take some hits, but they are, they are going to be always fine. The players, at a certain point, are going to have to agree to something But I thought they did a fantastic job. One, you had players all over, not even just the inner circle of the union, really uh, working the social media game and really helping, I think, to give, besides a couple of shill uh, writers, um, really kind of sway the public opinion towards the owners being really ridiculous and unfair in the fact that they never negotiated for months and really kind of did some terribly bad faith style. So overall, this CBA, it's not a dominant win by either side, which means it's probably uh, about the best we can do in this this modern time. So I think overall, uh, pretty happy with it. I'm pretty happy with it. And I hope it sets up a less contentious fight in five years. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen in the five years. But again, I haven't had time
0: to worry about that because and actually, and I talked a little bit about it. Uh, I'm just happy that baseball's back and we'll have opening day on April 7th. Um, biggest thing that, that I was kind of shocked about is you had that last proposal that was turned in and ultimately agreed upon. Uh, the a, a executive committee that on the Players Association, mm. which is made up of eight veterans, they unanimously voted against, which means all they need is a simple majority from the players to uh, on, in the vote, but they needed, with the eight votes going against from the executive committee, which usually is a pretty good indicator of how they vote on these sorts of things, they needed two-thirds of the team reps to go against the executive committee, which they got. Like, they got more than that. They, the uh, The team reps voted 26 to 4. I believe those are the Mets, the Astros, and a couple other teams that were dissenting. I don't know who their reps are, but they got the 26 votes, which is, you know, like five more than they needed uh, to, to pass this thing. So, uh, ultimately, I was kind of shocked that it passed when it did. I thought we were going to definitely see more games. I think if it had gone past that day, we were going to see canceled games that weren't made up, which was honestly where I thought the owners were going to cave in at the last second. As soon as that that number was going to drop below 162 and stay below 162, that's when they were going to cave. So, maybe the players gave out at the last second. I don't know. Maybe. I got the vibe that, like, some of these players and these player reps that are repping teams full of a lot of young guys that are just trying to get back out to the you know spring training, get their careers back underway. They kind not caved because they still got so much in this deal. They did they had a lot of wins, uh, but it felt like maybe towards the end there that they were like, you know what, we got what we could get. Let's play ball. And with that being said, we're going to take one more break. On the other side, we will talk about expanded postseason, and then we'll kind of talk about what we're expecting out of the Rays and what we've seen around the league at the start of spring training. And we're back on raise your voice Darby. We have an expanded postseason season uh, for uh, it's happened. We've had 12 teams before we had it, or was it 14 in 2020?
1: It's it, it, it was, it was 14. Teams. Wasn't, it? wasn't it eight teams each? Yeah. Well, did we have a 16 team postseason in 2021? I thought. I thought. What? Okay. Crap. Now I'm. Now I'm totally. <laughs> blank. I kind of memory hold a lot of 2020 during the regular season because the no, Rays were right. at the top, it, so there were It normal. was. It but was. it was eight. It was eight, right? Because yeah, we had. Because like, they
0: had the, everybody played a wild card round.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. It was a best of three, which is kind of a preview for now, um, because we are going to get best of threes again. Uh, Twelve. A 12 team expanded playoff. I'm against expanded playoffs. I thought five and five was actually probably the best amount because baseball being such a long grind is kind of part of the charm of it. It, it And those are your playoffs. Getting the playoffs is a huge deal. That is a huge achievement. It is banner worthy. But 12 kind of feels like a win because man it just really seemed like the owners were desperate for 14 or 16 or, Everybody or I, I, I was yeah just off. 30 just everybody's in. i was really so nervous about the rest that getting to 12 and the rules that it that it were at i'm pretty happy with the result i would prefer 10 but i knew expanded was coming so 12 is the best of the situation we could have
0: I, I, I agree. Yeah, I thought we were getting 14. 12 is like the compromise I'm willing to make because there was zero chance it was staying at 10. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm very good with 12. The format, however, and I don't know. This might be the best way to do it. I don't know uh, if the Ghost win would have actually been a good thing. I was actually really opposed to that, but I couldn't come up with a better idea. So the top two teams in each league... Get an automatic buy into the divisional series. They start where a normal team would have started, a normal division winner would start. The third, the worst division winner, so the division winner with the third best record, plus,
1: now I'm doing math in my head, three wild cards. Right. Three versus six, four versus five. Right. Will play in a three game series.
0: In, well, I'm guessing they're calling the wild card round.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm guessing. Yeah, and even though one of those game... teams is not a wild card team, I guess it's still a wild card round.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the uh, it's a three game series hosted by the highest seed, and then uh, there will be no reseeding going into the divisional rounds. But a division winner, one division winner in each league every year, will have to play in this wild card round. Same thing happens in the NFL, um, except the NFL at fourteen teams now, and instead of one buy or instead of two buys, there's only one. I actually kind of like that in the NFL, uh, but for Major League Baseball, one for this year specifically, and this might change next year when there's less schedule parity. And we'll talk we'll talk about that briefly. Just because there's a division winner doesn't have as good of a record as the two other division winners in their league, that doesn't mean they're the like third-best division winner. A 95-win AL East champ could very well be better than a 100-win AL Central champ or an AL West mm-hmm. champ, even. Like, if the Astros win—and the Astros are always very good, So, but if the Astros win 102 games and the uh, T- White Sox win 100 games and the Rays win 99 games— I like I I'd be hard pressed to say that
1: the Rays are like clearly the worst team out of the 3. I think that's that's an that that is the interesting part of this. Um the two the two parts to me that I'm intrigued by is how does the buy actually affect those teams because unlike in football where that rest is huge. That's a lot of time off that potentially could Make things a little bit tougher on the teams that win the buy. I think it also could help you reset your rotation, so maybe that'll be good. But I am curious to see how those teams interact, and I am very curious to see how it shakes out, right? Because I think immediately I would I would immediately think the central would be the the weak team or the yeah. NL East, or you know you're you're looking at like what was the worst team that won a division last year, or the team that was the weakest, and. I do think you raise an interesting point is that like you could potentially have a, the NL central just be, or the AL central be complete, you know, a bunch of teams that are sort of tanking or mediocre and one team that's really good and just kind of uh, runs up the win total. And then you have the AL East be a four team complete slugfest where the team that wins is incredible. And the team that finishes fourth is incredible. And they're all within like a few games of each other. But suddenly, all of them are playing in the wild card round, whereas the uh, other team is going on. I think overall, this is probably the best you can do. It, it incentivizes the top two seeds. Um, I'm I'm more in favor of going to less divisions and more just general overall, and that's what we're kind of going to get in yeah. a way in 2023. Um, where it's it's less divisional games and more and every team every team it's, it's going to become more
0: an NBA like schedule where you play everybody in the league, which I I was I I don't like interleague play. I wanted to get rid of it completely in the regular season. Right. Um, I, that was never going to happen. I kind of like the way they had it now, where you've got one geographic rival and then you play one division um, within. You know, one year you play the NL East, then you play the NL Central, and you play the NL West. I like that. Um, I'm sad to see that go. I mean, I think it's a good thing. You're going to get matchups that, like, we never used to get. Like, the Rays will play the Giants every year. The Rays will play the Rockies every year. They'll play the Cubs. Like, every other year, they'll go to Wrigley Field. That's pretty cool. Um, I I don't love it for, like, how you balance a league, but it does even out the schedules a little bit more. It does move towards divisionless baseball, which is something I'm not opposed to. Um, I'd love to see two divisions in each league rather than three or rather than no divisions in each league. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, these are things that, like, I'm not going to be complaining about. Like, the fact that we didn't have this, like, Major League Baseball didn't capitulate, we didn't have a season. And to be clear, these don't take place until 2023. 2020,
1: because the schedule's already in place for
0: 2022.
1: Well, and with the expanded playoffs, I do think, so the biggest downside to more expansion of playoffs is, one, diluting the playoff pool, where you have worse teams that do not belong there getting in um we kind of saw that with the nfl we saw those that extra team that was in got brutally beaten to a pulp in the first round by the team that was normally on a bye um and it was kind of a laughable like walkover in in baseball that could be kind of different you could have a pretty mediocre team with a ace starting pitcher and suddenly they're one game away from winning but because it's no longer a one-game um, uh, a one-game play-in, I think that does give you a little bit more incentive for teams to try. I think with the one-game play-in, you had less incentive for a team to potentially buy at the deadline if you were on the fringe, because you really aren't getting a chance to go to the playoffs. You're going to a game that is a complete crapshoot. Especially if you're fighting down the stretch, you might be throwing your... You know, fourth starter out there because that's the only guy that's like fresh. Um, so with a with an actual series, a three game series, I think that does give you the opportunity to potentially say, you know, we're on the fringe, we can do this. Let's let's get in there. Let's this is actually something worth trying. I think with twelve teams instead of like fourteen or more, I think there is less of a cooling fe- period where teams don't try because everybody gets in which we did kind of see in 2020 a little bit where it's like, you didn't really even need to show up. You had to be just the Marlins
0: the were in and they had a losing record, right? The Astros it was, it was, had a
1: losing record and were one game yeah. away from the world series. It was one of those things where it was just sort of like, it's too, too many teams and you do get the, you run the risk of just basically you just can kind of walk, cakewalk into the postseason. You just sleepwalk through the regular season. Not great. But I think with 12, with the incentive to win enough that you get that buy. And you avoid the wild card round but with enough of incentive the wild card round is enough games that it's actually kind of worth the effort because Mm -hmm. you get a series you get a couple of games if you can host it that's that's two to three home playoff games you get to host which teams will go for because the
0: revenue boosts for those are huge and so you're not gonna like you know you can't get complacent coming in as one of the bottom two wild cards because you're not guaranteed a single home playoff game in that scenario, which I think is interesting. I don't know if I like it. Like I think anything that makes it should get that chance to play in front of their home fans. Mm-hmm. I know we didn't get it for wild card games, but that's a little that's a much different format. The fact that you'll have two teams in each league now that make it, uh, but it does put an emphasis on like you know winning your division, or at least getting that that mm-hmm. top wild card spot uh, to be able to host games.
1: Yeah, I know. And I, I think that's, I think that's huge. You know? I think that is really, really big. And I think that will hopefully add, I think this is the maximum amount of teams with a rule set in place that will, I think, continue to keep give us the real baseball competitive balance that we are looking for, which is 162 exciting games where we have a worthy field at the end. And that the the fringe might be teams that are Again, like I said, so maybe going into the season, you are looking at a team that's maybe right around five hundred as built, but with some variance. And you go, okay, this is maybe good. Maybe I'll sign like a free agent to boost us up to being or an trade to the deadline
0: mid-season. You know, if you're sitting right around five hundred, but you're right there in the wild card race, let's go for yeah, it. You know, let's, let's move go for it. It's,
1: it's not a one game where it. you're you're in. You're not even going to host it, and you're going to get bounced out badly. It's like no, it's a three-game series. It's you get a chance to potentially earn your spot in there, and I, I think I think there's enough incentive there that I I'm hoping it's not going to change teams from being tanking to competing. I think people need to get that straight: is that there is nothing yeah. in these rules that takes a team that's like we are going to tear this down to the studs to being we're going to go for it. But I do think you are going to see maybe some teams go, do we need to tear this down to the studs? Or maybe we can be 500 team that lets it play out and goes, hey, you know what? We're actually doing pretty good. We're doing a little bit better. Perfect example would be like the, the Seattle Mariners of last year who were not expected to be good, were much better than they, mm-hmm. they probably should have been because they were really running hot in those one-run games. And then they actually didn't, tear down at the deadline that they even though they might have and almost almost got to the postseason they played competitive baseball at the last day of the season i think you would have seen even make potentially more teams in a similar way so hopefully that's the case um yeah I, you know
0: it, it could have been a lot worse right like it could have been a lot worse i'm fine with seven and going back to like it, if you're a runaway division winner you still have something to play for in september like you still have to play for seating you want to get one of those two buys and even though, you know, even though we said that you had the rest versus rust debate, like you still want one of those buys. You'd still, you're still going to play yeah. to get into the DS. It might you're not risk work the out. Rust. You're going to yeah, risk exactly the rust. <laughs> to, yeah. to get to that next round. So uh, we covered most of the CBA. There are some more nitty gritty details that maybe we, we didn't get to. Actually, okay. No, there is one more. Uh, and it ties in with playoff expansion. So to make room for these extra series, there will be no more game 163s. They eliminated full-game tiebreakers, and honestly, I think maybe that's the biggest loss in terms of ex- postseason expansion because now you'll get tiebreakers. I loved the idea that if somebody's season was on the line, it's not going to be based on runs allowed. It's not going to be based on head-to-head. We are going to play a baseball game. We are tied. We are going to have one more game to see who makes it. That Losing that, that really sucks. We You know, we don't see it often. But it's like such a great appetizer before the playoffs. You get that one year we had two, right? We had two separate ones. And, you know, the Rays have taken play. You know, they've played in a game 163. They played in a do or die game on the last day of the season to play a do or die 163 to play a do or die wildcard game. And they won all three. And that was just like so exciting. Losing that sucks. Yeah. it does it does i think that's i
1: think that's that's a that's one of the best i mean that was what we were looking for this end of the season last year too like it's you you it gives you something to really root for is that opportunity to potentially get that 163 but yeah alas can't have it all
0: can't have it all all right with that let's move into real quick um some some league news there's been uh, already some deals made. I kind of want to talk about, and maybe Dar, I'll, I'll bring up one thing that I, I've noticed, and then maybe you've got another deal on your mind. But let's start with the Sonny Gray deal. He is traded from the Cincinnati Reds to the Minnesota Twins um, for, um, I should have pil- pulled up the pitcher that he was traded for up, um, uh, Chase Petty. Chase Petty was sent to the Cincinnati Reds in, sh- in exchange for Sonny Gray and another right-handed pitcher. I believe his name is Francis Peguero. Uh First off, Chase Petty is, was drafted in the first round of the 2021 draft. He has not pitched a full season of pro ball. Sonny Gray, very good major league pitcher, former all-star. And for a team like the Cincinnati Reds that is known for asking for the moon when they are trading, specifically their starting pitching, how in the hell did the Twins pull off getting Sonny Gray with two years, $22 million left on his contract for a high school pitcher? that hasn't pitched a full year in pro ball.
1: Well, you see the new CBA does not prevent teams from dumping salaries uh that are cost too much. Um I yeah, it's a it's a baffling move to me, but it's one of those moves where I, the internal uh evaluations by the Reds have to be off the charts. Have to be because there's at least 15 teams that I could rattle off that I'd be like, I, were they not in on this? Like, like, and, and that's what you when you when you look at Twitter and Rays are one of them. But you look on Twitter, you have so many teams being like, wait, where where were where were we? Like, you know, you had Blue Jays. They just signed you say Kikuchi to more money. Who yeah. you know, you, I'd say equal to probably I'd say Sunny Gray is better, uh, probably by a quite a bit. Seattle, you know, like,
0: who already went out and signed Robbie Ray, they probably could have afforded that. Sonny Seattle Gray.
1: could definitely have used him uh the giants i bet could have could he could be an ace they didn't need him but they could have you know used yeah. him uh padres could always use more p- it, it does. there's so many i'm shocked that this was the price tag for a pitcher who is really quite good and still pretty cheap so i, I don't i don't quite get it but maybe the reds are just absolutely full on their internal um Evaluations are, are all in, but I, yeah, yeah it's shocking. shocking.
0: And maybe the Twins, you know, now that puts them with an expanded postseason. We just saw them make a trade where they got Isaiah Kiner Falefa in exchange for Mitch Garver. They were a team that had high expectations last year and absolutely just blew it. But now, you know, you add Sonny Gray, maybe they bring back Michael Pineda, another veteran arm. I don't know. They've still got a pretty solid lineup. I could see them competing for one of those wild card spots late in the season. So good for them, you know, always trying to get better, always trying to improve, even when they're not going to be the favorites in their division this year or maybe for the next 10 years. Who knows? The White Sox look pretty stacked. Uh any any other moves that that you've, you know, noticed? There's there's been a bunch. Uh, but anything that you think is noteworthy?
1: Uh I think the Blue Jays are doing a really good job uh in their yeah. rotation already. I think they I don't think it's ne- I'm not sure if it's necessarily better than how they ended last year, but I do think it's nicely deep. Um, they they they've they added uh, Kevin Gosman before the the, the close of baseball, uh, and then they after it returned they added Yusei Kikuchi to a three year deal. Like I said, um, they have Barrios from last year. They have Alec Manoa. They have some some high uh, upside arms like Nate Pearson. That's a team that I think you you have some number threes and number twos. You don't have necessarily, like, I would say a top tier ace, but I love the depth of that rotation. And I think that really extends it out so that you are constantly pitching quality innings. And I think the Rays have really shown that that is something that sometimes bests teams with an ace. Like you look at what the Yankees had last year. One of their biggest issues was they had Garrett Cole, And that's a big problem. You had the Red Sox and you were like, excellent. But then where were you getting innings? They were needing Nick Pavetta to go three to four innings to piggyback off of Tanner Houck. Like they, that was what they needed. And so I think having those guys that you can be like, well, this isn't the best, you know, this isn't Garrett Cole. and we can't, you know, do Garrett Cole three times, but you can go, Really good inning, really good, innings, really good innings, really good innings, really good innings the whole way down. So Blue Jays, I think, really improved themselves. They have obviously a great offense. Um, bullpen, I think, still still has some really nice pieces. Um, could go even better. But uh, that rotation, I think, is improved by the fact that it's deeper. So it, always, always a team to watch out for. There ways in that, that same
0: vein, I, I'd love to see the Rays go after more pitching now uh, before the start of the season. I think they're in a good spot but injuries are going to happen. They're big starting pitching signing. Corey Kluber's had his fair share, and they're, I don't know how much they're banking on him. Um, you know, we won't have Tyler Glass now until yeah, he keeps saying he's going to pitch this year. We'll see. Uh, that would be an amazing arm to add in September uh, and, and hopefully October. Uh, but I'd love to see the Rays go after another arm. And, and let's bring it back home and, and talk about the Rays. Let's raise our voice a little bit. Spring training's finally starting. Players have to report by tomorrow unless they're dealing with visa issues i haven't heard anything about race players getting back into the country but i know other players and other teams are dealing with it i'm sure there will be some race players that are are dealing with it just you know might take them a little longer to get to camp who knows it might uh, impact their their timeline to get ready for the season Uh, but let's raise our voices darby what is one player or one storyline that you are really going to be focusing your attention on in this shortened 2022 spring training
1: it's it's actually the same one I think I probably had last year at the same time or, or earlier. What does the Rays outfield and outfield depth look like at the opening day? Because we are back again with Kevin Kiermeyer, Brett Phillips, two extremely talented, fast, def- elite defensive left-hand hitting center fielders. We have Manuel Margot, who is a very talented, can play center field, right-hand hitting outfielder. And then you also have Randy Rosarena. You have Austin Meadows as big bats. You have the potential to add a guy like maybe Tommy Pham to add to your right-handed hitting uh, uh, depth, or maybe Jorge Soler, or who knows. There's a lot of outfielders there that the Rays have already, and there's some interesting options to add to that team as a right-handed bat to the outfield as well. So again, we're back to the same spot where I did not see how they could fit both Kevin Kiermeyer and Brett Phillips onto the same roster. They did it. Will they do that again? Is Austin Meadows the odd man out? Is Kevin Kiermeyer going to be finally traded? He's making the most. Does Manuel Margot leave? I think he actually probably is the least likely. It's a very interesting and probably good situation to have again but i'm so fascinated how do you hold all these outfielders it's <laughs> so many plus you got guys like josh lowe and videl Bruhan who are waiting in the wings just a phone call away very interesting i don't see how it shakes out and i was saying these exact same things last year so maybe it just keeps rolling with the same stuff but I, i'm really curious to see what happens in the next couple of weeks and when the dust settles, when the music stops, who has a chair?
0: Yeah, it could. The roster could look very different. We still have arbitration hearings to go through, and that's why my player, the one I'm really focused on, I want to see how he performs in spring training, how healthy he stays, and I really think he's poised for a big 2022. And that's G Troy. G Troy, I said after the arbitration ordeal last year, in his st- uh, stints on the IL last year. Maybe, you know, showing that he's not as healthy as he was before. Maybe he didn't show up to camp in the best of shape. Um, Part of that could have been due to, like, lockdown in North Korea, not having access to, you know, your normal gym or your normal trainers. Or not North Korea, South Korea. Sorry, G. Very, di-
1: very different problem of being yes. locked down in North Korea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy I caught myself there. Um, <laughs> well, All right. Anyways, G. Montroy. This year, like I had, I, I thought easy non tender or easy DFA or easy trade for you know lotto ticket right handed pitching prospect, but instead. He was one of the only, if not like the only player that they reached a pre-arb agreement with, and they gave him a nice raise after last year they took it to arbitration. He was publicly upset with the amount that the Rays had on the table. He won his arbitration case. I thought the Rays were going to be like, all right, peace, see ya. No, they kept the left-handed hitting first base only. Uh, G. Troy they gave him a raise, and first thing he does when he gets to camp, he's giving Eric Neander a big old bear hug. So it seems like things are looking up and up for G. Troy and the Rays and their relationship. He's a super fun player to root for. He is a good baseball player, a very good hitter, and somebody who's carved himself, you know, put himself on the on the, on the the long side of that platoon at first base with, with Yandi Diaz and whoever else placed first base over there. I know things could change if the Rays... I don't know, somehow pulled off Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson or any of the other big left-handed hitting guys that can play first base. I think that's unlikely, though. I think they're going to roll with G-Man Troy. I think he's up for the task, and I'm really excited to see what he does in spring training.
1: Do you have any thoughts on G-Man Darby? Here's the thing with G-Man. He is still one of the most likable Rays, and last year it definitely felt like he was not quite himself. Yeah. it was just it was just not quite there so him being like healthy and trimmed down and did really you see some of the pictures he was uploading I mean his calves he's looking great he's looking great this is, I stared this at his calves a...
0: for a little bit I, I'll be honest <laughs> it's, <They> look...
1: <laughs> it's it's uh he's he's looking pretty good he's we might see some splits who knows? He's getting that lower body yeah. correct, and,
0: and yeah. And Joey I, Wendell's gone, so he doesn't have to worry about, like, trying to get balls left and right. Love Joey Wendell. <laughs> they were a great duo. Joey Wendell would keep balls in the infield. Joey uh, g Choi would keep him from going into the, the bleachers, right? Like they, <laughs> exactly, they worked well together.
1: Exactly. Uh, but no, yeah, I think G-Man is a – that is one of those, those players that I think coming into last year I thought was going to be DFA'd. Then after last year I thought coming in there's least likely – to be a, a Ray at opening day was G-Man Choi. Uh, but unless Freddie Freeman walks through that door, I do think G-Man Choi and Yandi Diaz make for a tremendous first base platoon. And G-Man is some, one of those guys that I could easily see having like this sneaky, like two to three war monster. If he stays healthy, yeah. Season. Yeah. Like he's, he... Should... he He's got Garrett Cole. He's got Garrett Cole to to abuse and terrorize. Still, so and, and how about G Troy leadoff hitter? I mean, he's got
0: some experience there, but you look at the way this lineup, you, you could see him go. I don't know, G Mon Wander, Arosarena, Lau, one, two, three, four, like that. I mean, nice. Given, I mean, Kevin I mean, Cash nice. runs out so many different lineups. I'm sure we'll see G in the in the leadoff spot a handful of times this year. Um, but he, he when he's healthy, he's been consistent. I know the health has been an issue. But he looks like he's in good shape. I think he really appreciated the money that the Rays gave him, and I think he's gonna, you know, have a really big year because you know there could be more money on the table if he if he does well. So that's the one player I'm gonna be focused on. It's gonna be really interesting. I'm, uh, Rene Pinto, if I could throw in another one, um, hmm. the Rays obviously like this guy. They picked him over Blake Hunt to be on the forty-man roster. Now they get to keep both because the Rule Five draft is canceled. But it's clear that if Ray Pinter had to be a big-league catcher tomorrow, the Rays are comfortable with him in that spot. Let's hope not, because I love the two catchers we've got, but he'll pay, he'll play in the big leagues at some point this season. What can he bring defensively? We know that that's such a big part of like Mike Zanino's game, and even Francisco Mejia, I thought, looked good defensively in this last season. He's no mm-hmm. Zanino, um, but he stepped up in a big way. Maybe the way the Rays' coaching staff worked with him helped with that. And, and when, when the Rays show interest in a guy and they really show that they like a guy it's usually for a reason and it usually comes true so I, I'm excited to see what, what Pinto
1: can contribute this year in, in any capacity yeah another good pick yeah I'm I'm. there's there uh, my other thing that I always look for in Ray's spring training is which reliever that I'm not thinking of right now makes the opening day roster who I will have become soon obsessed with I don't I honestly don't. there's a few that I'm I'm pretty intrigued with. I actually think Chris Mazza, he's out of options if he does make the team. I actually think what we saw from him last year was a really different pitcher from opening day to the end of the season. I think he actually with multi-inning swingman appeal could be really really good for this team. Uh I think What about my Calvin Forshey? Favorite- I was just about to say my favorite option would be, would be, would be for being breaking the thing. He, he was clearly a good target in that, in that trade, maybe the prime target. Who knows that
0: now Yeah. Nelson Cruz is was, gone as far as yeah. We they were
1: like, we don't, we can lose Cruz, but we got Calvin. We got Calvin. Uh, he is a guy that we've heard a lot of interesting rumbling. So actually getting to see some like real tape on him in spring training and how he performs. If he does break camp, that would be really exciting. So there's a couple of interesting love the way the Rays do their pitching, especially in the bullpen. So I'm curious to see what uh where how that shakes out. But yeah, there's some interesting fun names in there that that could break loose. Plus some of the returning from injury guys. He, yeah, you've got, got Colin, like Colin Poche. You've
0: Colin Poche.
1: Right. Yeah, just the Poche <laughs> Foche connection.
0: <laughs> that would, that's gotta be on a t shirt at some point. Um get them in Poche... into the Dangers. Before he was hurt, I think he had really figured it out. I remember when he first came up, like, he was throwing his fastball down in the zone, which was always smacked for an extra base hit, mostly a home run. He was throwing his curveball probably more than he should. And then, like, at the end, right before he got hurt, he realized, like, all I have to do is throw fastballs up in the zone, and nobody in the big leagues can hit it. Hmm. And I don't know what it's going to be like post-TJ, but, it, I mean, he had it figured out. If he just goes back to that, he could be one of the guys in the stable come the end of the year.
1: The another bullpen arm, just to keep an eye on returning similar to Poche is Jalen Beaks. I don't know what his timetable is at this point, but he was another guy that just before injury just seemed like, Oh boy, this, this could be a beast. And Absolute if he stays a multi-inning, multi-inning guy, yes. Yeah. If he,
0: and I don't know what he's going to look like post-surgery. They might just tr- transition him into more of a like a one-inning type of guy or a three- or four-ounce mm-hmm. type of guy. But if he's still going to be a multi-inning guy, I mean, that's maybe you've got like Josh Fleming that can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Brooks Raley can work multiple innings, and that was their big free agent signing. But other than that, you know, unless you move Drew Rasmussen back to the bullpen, you don't have a lot of guys that traditionally or that – have normally gone from multiple innings in their career, and if Beeks can get back to that, that's going to he's going to be valuable, and he'll pitch in the big leagues for good chunks of this year if he can do that successfully. Absolutely, and I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. It felt really good to just get back and and, and talk about like normal baseball. Like we're going to have workouts this this week. By the weekend, we'll have games. I don't know what the TV schedule is going to look like. Um, but they'll the Rays will be on the field playing baseball come this weekend, and within a month we'll be doing so in the regular season. So, Darby, thank you for coming on. And uh, and I I I, and I know we've got to watch. Uh, you've already watched the Billy Bob Thornton Bad News Bears for who's on worst. I've yet to watch it. I've been crazy busy, but I'll be watching it soon. And I'm sure we'll get something recorded before the start of the season.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look for it. Look forward to it, everybody. It's. Uh, uh, it's a movie with Billy Bob. Technically Fulton. it's technically
0: a movie. I've seen it before, but it's been many years. So I'm excited to kind of rewatch and see how my perspective has changed on the remake of the bad news bear. So I laughed at the it. I laugh. Yeah, at times. Uh, we'll see how it goes for me. I have a feeling I'm not going to enjoy this one at all. So, That's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. If you're not already, make sure you're heading on over to DRaceBay.com. All of the great off-season coverage, even during the lockout, go through and read all that. We just had prospect week, a ton of great prospect content. And now, spring training content starts this week. ton of great stuff on the site. Make sure you're reading that. If you like what we do, make sure you subscribe or follow to our podcast network. That means every new episode will be downloaded directly to your device. If your platform allows it, rating and reviewing it is the best way to spread what we do to more and more more raised fans. Once again, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.